And so before we look at our main texts, um, we have to kind of review a little bit from last week because honestly these texts are really tied together, but I didn't want to do an uh, uh, hour and 30 minute sermon. Um, I preached long enough. And so with that, would you please read uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 5 with me? And that will give us a little context as we review and hear the language, this language of gospel partnership from the text. And so we'll first start again with Philippians uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 5, and I'll read that over us to get some context. Paul gives us an intro to, to Paul and Timothy, these leaders. He says, uh, overseers, deacons, great, and, and to the saints. So he's including all the church, and he says, I thank God to you, church, for you, church, in my remembrance of you. This is how, this is how he talks about partnership. He just really loves the people. And he says, man, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so you can just hear a, a little hint of Paul with this joy and this, this heart that he just really loves the people. And so he loves his, his, his church folk. He loves the people that he's rolling with. And so in review, this word partner can have many various meanings in uh, English today, the way we use the word today. But the biblical meaning of partnership is this idea of joint partnership. And so, uh, again, this idea is this idea of being joined together in the gospel, that we may be different. We may have things that are not the same, but because of Christ, we can hold this line together. And so the base word for partnership in the Greek, and if you have any experience with church, Maybe you've heard this word. It's koinonia. Um, it has nothing to do with coins. It is actually means community, fellowship, or partnership. So usually like churches are called something, something, community church or fellowship church, whatever. And so those, because they're trying to capture this, really hard to capture in English. It's this idea of joint partnership. I kind of like that's kind of new and different and a fresher way of saying it. And so Redeemer Round Rock, which is one of our uh, partner churches in the gospel, one of our sister churches, that, that we are partners with, again, um, says, says it this way, and I love the way they say it. True partnership in the church is an active partnership in the gospel. And so it's a close relationship of mutual benefit, promoting the gospel through cooperation, sympathy, suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and love. And so Paul's letter to the churches in Philippi provides a wonderful example of this kind of relationship within the church. And so the Philippians had shared in Paul's proclamation of the gospel, sympathized with the suffering for it, suffered for it themselves. They gave sacrificially to support the cause of Christ. They worked together to be a distinct people on display in their city and prayed for Paul and the progress of the gospel, all as an overflow of love born in them by the Spirit. And so again, simply... Partnership in the gospel is a close relationship of mutual benefit, uh, prom uh, promoting the uh, of mutual benefit, promoting the gospel through cooperation, sympathy, suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and love. And and Paul in the book of Philippians, and specifically in our text this week and last week, allows us to define partnership in the gospel this way. And so we're going to look at that idea again as it gives context to our. Um, uh, our text today, but we also have to understand the gospel, and, and this can be misconstrued in church 
often too. And we want to be gentle and loving here, but the gospel is clear that it starts from Genesis and we see it ending in Revelation. We see this creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so we see Christ the creator, God breathing everything and bringing everything to life and making everything good and making humanity in his image, right? And then we see the fall which is humanity's sin against God, which allows sin and death to enter the world and cause this big chasm, this big hole between us and God that demanded a sacrifice, and that would be the redemption that Jesus Christ would bring. And God wanted to see our sin and brokenness taken away, and he did that. He, he uh, appeased the, the uh, wrath of the Father. And so we needed this Savior to redeem us, and that leads us to redemption, which is simply Jesus redeeming. That's why we love the name Redeemer at, at this church. It's codenamed Jesus. And so Jesus is our Redeemer, and he, he's simply re, he's the one that is redeeming or being a sacrifice that appeased the wrath or the anger of God in his death so that his creation, namely his elect, his chosen, these children of God, sons and daughters, could be redeemed or delivered or saved. And have this covering, the Bible says this atonement, this, this covering for sin in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, in redemption again. Now humanity has this response. We have a part. The Bible says we loved him because he first loved us. But if he first loved us, then we have a response. And our response is to repent and believe. To, to turn away from sin and Satan's kingdom and to turn to the kingdom of God by having belief or faith. That's the same word in the original language. In Jesus, by the Holy Spirit's power. So initially when we are first saved in justification, we're going to talk about that a little bit later today. Specifically, then as we grow in maturity in this process called sanctification, we're really going to talk about that. That's kind of the idea of partnership advancing, which then leads to glorification. And so that... Redemption then brings us to restoration or new creation. We have creation, fall, redemption, and restoration or new creation. So it's like bookends, creation and new creation. And this is where God has promised y'all to renew the whole world, to make a new heavens and a new earth, to make all things new in his children and to bring about this glorious future. And Christ will return and he will judge sin and evil. And God will purge the world of this evil once and for all and he will usher in righteousness. Another means justice and peace where we will eternally see God's glory as we sang. And so if we know this gospel, uh, we can have true partnership in the gospel. And this is what Paul is wanting to pass on like a baton to the Philippians as true partnership in the gospel. And so our text today, again in Philippians 1, 8 through 12, will teach us that Paul encourages gospel partnership in the church where we see partnership advancing in the church leaders first, then the saints, and then the kingdom of God. And so let's read Philippians 1, 8 through 12. And as we uh, worship and learn from our great God, um, we uh, will uh, read this text and, and pray that it comes to life. And so we're going to start in verse 8. And hopefully that context of the beginning that Paul is saying, man, I want to be partners in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. And then he says, because of this, he says, look, for God is my witness that, that, I'm a, that, I, that I love you and that I'm praying for you. You may not feel it sometimes, but this is what. He says, God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes 
through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that means sisters, hermanos, if you speak Spanish, that we, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so in this, again, we see that it, uh, Paul encourages gospel partnership in the church where we see partnership advancing in the, in the church leaders, the saints, meaning the, the, the people of the church, the holy ones, and the kingdom of God. And so uh, if you would, let's look at verse 8 and study the text a little more closely. Again, I encourage your eyes uh, in looking at the text, and that will help hopefully some of this, what the Holy Spirit has for us, sink in. And so... Um, Again, we see that, that uh, in, in verse 8, we see the gospel uh, partnership advancing in the leader. And so first we see Paul, who had uh, added Timothy to the beginning of this letter to demonstrate gospel partnership was advancing and growing or progressing in Paul and Timothy as these church leaders. And so there was this depth of partnership in them, this depth, this fortitude to fight together for the glory of God. And so we see, again, gospel partnership advancing in the leaders, specifically as we see God is Paul's witness. And, and if God is Paul's witness, God is our witness. And so in that, again, we see that this gospel partnership is advancing. And we see that God is Paul's witness as he starts. And we can also claim that, that God is our witness. As verse 8 says, for God is my witness. God is my testimony. God speaks for me. God vouches for me is what it's saying. I don't need anybody else to vouch for me, although it's good to have people to vouch for you sometimes, but sometimes people won't. And he's saying, God is my witness. How I yearn. He's saying, how I love you all with this affection of Christ. So this means that Paul was basing his ministry and his ability to be a partner uh, from the testimony of God that came from God, not in his own effort. And Paul was confident, as Christians, you can be confident. You don't have to be insecure. Those things come, but we can walk as confident brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul was confident in what God had called him to do as a church planter and, and a leader of the early church. And Paul wanted to set this tone for the Philippian church that he was a leader partnering with them as saints. Uh, saints was this idea of the local Philippian church that, that, and that, that he would, as um, a leader, that him and the elders and the deacons had this deep Christ-like affection for them. So we see how the leaders were letting this partnership advance in them, this partnership idea grow in them. That's what we're saying with partnership advancing. We see again in verse 8 that Paul yearns for the love uh, of, he, he yearns with love for his people and with Christ's affection. Sounds like Jesus, right? Love God, love people. Like Paul's modeling this. He's saying this is how we roll. This is what we do. Again, verse 8 reads, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with this affection of Christ Jesus. And Paul was yearning. And this word in the original Greek uh, meant this like, a, a, this yearning from your entrails, which whatever that means, or your guts, right? Your insides, your guts. And so Paul, it's regarded as the seat or the place of emotional life for, for in Hebrew or Jewish culture. And so Paul was saying, we would say like, man, I love you with all my heart. That's kind of the English way we say that. And Paul said, I love you with all my guts. So that's kind of what they would say. So Paul was saying that, that God saw him and was a witness of him in his deep 
love that he had for the saints in Philippi, with, with, with everything that he had, he said, I love you. And so Paul and Timothy, as leaders, were modeling this gospel partnership advancing, as, the, as we see in, in verse 9. They say, and it is my prayer that, that your love, and he's like, because I pray and because I love you, man, it is my prayer, y'all, that, that, you, that, that, that your love may abound more and more with, with knowledge. There is knowledge. And then that knowledge and all discernment. And so this shows gospel partnership now advancing in the saints or the local church. And so we see this, again, gospel partnership advancing in the saints or the local church as Paul shares that he prays for his people to grow. So Christian maturity is this idea of sanctification. And he prays in namely three areas or ways that they would have abounding love more and more, increasing love, that they would have knowledge and discernment. And so for Paul, we see that prayer was one of his main priorities as a leader. This is actually what pastors are supposed to do. The pastor's job is prayer and ministry of the word. That's all really, there's some other things about this, but that's like top tier. Man, you better be praying and you better be ministering the word, teaching the word, leading people through the word. So for Paul, we see that prayer was one of his main priorities as a leader. And even today, like our church leaders need to be praying people. We, and I pray that you know here at RCI that we as leaders are praying, uh, are committed to praying and praying as, as much as we can. And sometimes praying can be just a thing we do in church. But, man, I believe it every single time. We gather before we pray. Our worship team prays in the morning. We do other little uh, prayers. And, and there are consistent rhythms where we pray, where we're hopefully modeling. We do a prayer in the city. And so the, the hope is that Paul is echoing Jesus as he points the saints to the greatest commandment with his prayer. Jesus prayed a lot too, and he was Jesus. <laughs> that should encourage us to pray. So, so listen to what this first part of, of verse 9 says again. It says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul deeply prays for this abounding love, meaning that, that love would increase. He wants a love that will keep growing for God and people. Y'all, this kind of love is of the utmost importance and praying like this is of the utmost importance. And Paul is reminding the saints that our love must grow. Like we don't have a cap on love. I say this all the time. We, there's no cap on love of God or love of people. Our, it should be ever increasingly growing. If we think we have the market on love of God, like I really love God and I love people and we think we're good there, we're not. God's like, no, 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 you haven't figured it out. Something's going to happen where you're going to be like, oh, I don't really love, love that person anymore. I don't like him anymore. And we're going to have to ask repent and believe and continue to grow in the gospel that will never will never uh, 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 conquer that God has conquered that and he has given us the ability to grow in that and so we don't have a cap on love but true humble believers realize presently that we are ever increasingly growing in this love for God and Paul is praying this for the saints at Philippi Paul wants the Philippian church to grow in knowledge. And, and Paul wants them to, 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 to really, you know, pray for each other. That's, like, that's where knowledge start, comes from. The fear, knowledge comes from the, the fear of God or the love of God idea. That's what the Proverbs tell us. So he wants his people to know the truth and the true word of God. We know God's truth by how do we know God's word? By the revelation of Jesus Christ, the living word, and through God's written word, which represents him and his revelation to us as humans, how he shows us his glory. It's one way. And so, brothers and sisters, we must know God's word because it's God's word, right? And, and, and we must uh, wake up, like, 
meditating and thinking about the things of God. This is what it means to, to be a believer in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we live or abide with Christ, like you can actually do that. We don't do it perfectly, but we can actually do that, like wake up thinking about God. And, and this is a constant battle and fight, but the Holy Spirit is in us and convicts us and directs us through um, and to God's word. So remember, as the Apostle John says, God's commandments, God's words are not burdensome. Like, if you, if you go to the Word and you're like, oh, man, or there's a rule or you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Or there's something in your life that you need to submit to and you're, you know, using something to not submit to it, your own justification. God is saying, I'm holy and I'm calling you to, to lay those things down, to repent, to know what it means to true, that my commands, the things I've commanded my children to do don't make you go, oh, they make you go. Sometimes it might make you okay. And sometimes, honestly, like, we're going to be like, ah. Oh. But we have to ask the Lord, change that. Change it in me. Let me not be thinking of your commands as burdensome or heavy, but as good. The, the, the law is good if used correctly, it says in 1 Timothy. The law is not bad. So it doesn't save us, but it shows us that we're sinful and pulls us back to repentance. And that makes us uh, hopefully love the Lord as, he's, as the Spirit's in us. So as a true believer, one should have this deep hunger and desire to know God through his word. This is how we practically came to know about Jesus, right? In the gospel that we got this Bible, if we didn't have this written word of God, we would not know this gospel story. Like if that wasn't God's plan to give us a written Bible, what would we have? Scrolls that would have been lost? No, he, he preserved his word. And so God is wise, y'all. He preserved his gospel story through the written word and giving us the Bible. And so the Bible represents God's word in truth. And through the Holy Spirit, God's word should convict us and allow us to be discerning or have discernment. In, in Greek, this word, so we saw this abounding love, knowledge, and discernment, and we're going to talk about discernment now. In Greek, kind of meaning put to the test, like being able to put something to the test. And so the process of sanctification now allows the church to approve or affirm or said a different way, put things to the test. Put what? To prove and affirm the gospel truth in people, situations, and the direction of the church. Look at verses 9 and 10 in context with me. It says, And my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, for his coming again. So Paul again is clear that the process of sanctification allows them to approve, affirm, or put to the test gospel truth in people, situations, and the direction of the church. And so the word approve means, more accurately in the original Greek, to examine or to test and to try. And Paul says in this text that the Philippian church will examine what is excellent. And so the idea here of this word excellent is to examine what is actually gospel truth in people, in situations, and the direction of the church. And so... This uh, word approved in the Greco-Roman times was used to approve coins. Uh, so not koinonia, but actual coins. So this word was used to approve, to make sure coins were valid. And so as to their validity, of, of again, of being real or fake currency. So that's what this was used. And so um, it was also used to compare cattle. And so this word, uh, this idea of approved. And so the object of the verb, again, a little nerdy here, is this context which may be rendered like we can say the things which differ or the things which excel. That's what he's trying to approve. Again, this word excellent or the idea of approving what was excellent meant the things which really matter. That's what they're approving, what really matters. 
the things that we want to do or the things that, uh, another way of translating this is the sense of what is vital to the church, to people in the church, to the, to the, uh, um, and, and to the direction of the church. And so in this, uh, we see that this process of sanctification uh, or of doing the work of ministry, of loving deeply and having knowledge and discernment is what was advancing the gospel. And, what was, and, and was what allowed these believers to actually be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul's fatherly prayer for the Philippian church to actually do gospel ministry bought, brought about uh, Paul giving the church this charge to be pure and blameless. And it is interesting that while this seems like a command in English, like be pure and, and, and blameless, it is actually the subjunctive mood. Again, a little uh, grammar, which we don't really use in English much. We use it a lot in Spanish, uh, meaning that it is implied that what you are requesting will be done. He's not even commanding him. He's like, I'm assuming you're going to do this to be pure and blameless. And so this means that Paul expects and assumes the church of Philippi will be pure and holy. He, he is uh, saying this confidently, and we can know confidently that if you are God's child, like you are set apart. And that with the confidence, confidence Christ gives us, that we should act like we're God's children. That's what it means to be pure and blameless. Not perfect, guys, but confident. Like we can actually run the way the Lord's called us to, meaning our walk should match our talk. Kind of the old uh, 1980s saying, right? <laughs> he assumes that, uh, and encourages the church to be sanctified. To be pure like Christ and holy like God who says, be holy because I am holy. So remember, sanctification or growth as a, a Christian in the present starts with understanding our justification or being saved in the past. And, and then as the text prepares us for glorification and future salvation that we will have. So if you have been saved at any point in the past, the Father has justified you or made you right or put you in right standing with the Father through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection as Jesus covered your sin with his death and then ascended. So the initial salvation of justification sets us on this blessing to be saints or sanctified or holy ones. That's a way of saying it. It's the same word. Um, if you've ever heard of the Spanish Bible, it's the Santa Biblia. If you've ever heard of Santa Claus, Santa Claus, his real name is Holy Claus. And oh, man, that's, that's a little weird. Uh, that's what this word means, sanctus in Greek. So anytime you hear that, it means holy. And so the word holy or saint or, or sanctification comes from that same root in the Bible. And Paul is saying that our justification, our sanctification, sanctification meaning our initial salvation, um, and present growth in salvation, in other words, meaning our continual process of repentance and belief. Like we don't stop repenting and believing. You initially repent and believe in justification for the first time, and then Christ invites you for the rest of your life to repent and believe. If you're really his, you don't lose your salvation. You're growing in love of God and people, right? That's a, another way of saying sanctification. You don't lose your salvation. If you're, no one, Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. If you're mine, you're my baby, my child, Jesus says. And so... But with that confidence, it's like we don't just sit there and do nothing. We continue to grow in Christ. And so Paul is saying, again, that our justification, our sanctification, meaning our initial salvation and present growth in salvation, is this continual process which prepares us for our king's glorious return, which will be our glorification. And so uh, well, that means this completion of our salvation process as we will be with Christ as he allows us to share in his glory. So brothers and sisters, this... Um, 
is the church's job, our job, to prepare ourselves as a bride for our bridegroom, who is Jesus, as he comes back, this preparation to be a pure bride for our great king who is really coming again to rule and reign. And so again, verse 10 reminds us uh, that the saints will be pure. They will be holy in Christ and blameless when Christ returns. Not because of ourselves, because of him. So if the saints will be pure and holy in Christ and blameless when Christ returns, let's look at verses 9 and 11 in context and get the full gist of this. Paul says in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, proving what, what's going on in the church, what's going on, what is true, what is gospel truth. He says now 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so the church, so the church, these pure and holy saints, as Paul reminds us, has, they have fruit of righteousness or justification. They've been marked justified. And that's, again, that initial salvation which comes through Christ and produces true glory and praise. That's what these verses are saying. So our salvation in our justification and, and sanctification and glorification bring glory to God and give his children confidence to live freely in true love of God. And so in all this that Paul has said in our text, we have, again, reviewed the definition of partnership in the gospel. We looked at Philippians 1, 8 through 12 as we learned in verse 8 about gospel partnership advancing in leaders. So this, I'm saying partnership advancing is this idea of sanctification. That's just another way of saying it, okay? That in our, if we're going to be gospel partners, there's something in us that should be growing and it shouldn't shouldn't stay. And that's our sanctification. And so gospel partners, we saw gospel partnership advancing in the leaders, in Paul and Timothy and the elders there. In Philippi. And then in verses 9 through 11, we saw gospel partnership advancing in the saints, in the local church, in individuals, but at, in the church as a whole. And then we can conclude now in verse 12, where we'll see that this gospel, if this gospel partnership is actually advancing in our leaders and advancing in us as the church, then it will actually expand the kingdom of God. And so gospel partnership now we see advancing the kingdom. And we're going to talk about this more next week as we'll start on verse 12. This whole section is loaded. And guys, it's probably my next week is my, one of my favorite sections of scripture. Um, but we're going to see this connection of partnership advancing in the church, specifically again in the leaders of the church. We've seen this again in the leaders of the church, the saints in the church, which now shows us that our growth in partnership as individuals and as a church actually advances the kingdom of God. And so we see Paul's life was used to advance the kingdom and then our partnership in the gospel together can actually advance the kingdom today. Like we saw Paul do it and I want to encourage us like we can do it through Christ. Again, Paul's life was used to advance the kingdom of God then and our partnership in the gospel together today can advance the kingdom of God. So friends and family, is your personal individual walk with Christ model modeling this partnership that is advancing in you individually that will then advance the kingdom of God. God is looking at our hearts and wants us to be right or justify. He, he wants us to be right with him. And, 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 and he wants us to be right with our brothers and sisters. And so if we need to repent and believe in Jesus for the first time, or if we are continuing to walk in repentance and belief as a believer, know 
if you're saved or if you become saved, that Satan wants to destroy our gospel partnership. And I believe the Lord is telling us to fight, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in deep love and gospel partnership, and that he will sustain and preserve us until that wondrous day when he returns. And, y'all, there is no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering. That we can actually have joy no matter what the circumstances. That we can actually have hope in Christ where we are stronger together. And that our partnership together would be so impactful as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to Irving and to the world. And God is using us now. Be encouraged. He's using you. He knows you. He sees you. And he will sustain us as we continue to live out our mission to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of all nations for God's glory. So friends and family, again, is your personal individual walk with Christ modeling partnership that is advancing in you individually and that is advancing the kingdom of God? Think about that and let's pray right now to the Holy Spirit to have this partnership that is advancing in us individually first. If you're a church leader, if you are a saint, as we looked at today, man, that the, the Lord is doing that in us. And then let's come together as joint partners to keep each other accountable to grow in Christ in what we have talked about today in Philippians 1, 8 through 12. Let's fight together, y'all, for this true gospel partnership. And let's pray and allow this gospel partnership to actually change us and the world for God's glory. I love y'all. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, Lord. And mm, just kind of an intro section. I think that a lot can be missed in these intro sections in the Bible, Lord. And you are saying a lot, specifically through Paul, this man who was suffering in jail, who was struggling, um, Lord, but who gives this beautiful uh, letter that just echoes you and echoes your love. And so, Lord, I pray just open our hearts to model this true love that you've given us. Lord, let us love one another. Let us be uh, uh, sweet to one another. And let's learn, Lord, to have this partnership advance in us through your gospel. And that, Lord, that would actually allow us, Lord, to uh, advance your kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. 